Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. I'm also Rachel. And I'm just Ben. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we look at the Tory leadership contest and the debates, and you ask us, what will Boris Johnson do next? So we're speaking the Monday morning after the second Tory leadership debate. The candidates left in the race, Rishi Sunak, Penny Morden, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch and Tom Tugendhat. And it was such a snipey little blue and blue, blue on blue rather, affair that actually we've just had the news just coming in as we're sitting in the studio that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss don't want to go ahead with the third one that was scheduled. So we'll talk a bit about that and also how the debate played out. But first of all, I want to introduce our new podcaster well our new deputy political editor but we are going to get you in the studio quite a lot Rachel Wearmouth hello so you've joined us from the mirror that's right yeah um, must have been a crazy time for you recently I hope you got a break between. Uh, <laughs> I had I've had a I've had a week's bit break in between jobs but yeah good been, been but I bet you haven't managed to tear yourself away from what's been going on <laughs> yeah the first week I take off in in months and uh, go <laughs> Boris Johnson resigns and we have a full-blown Tory leadership contest <laughs> so, yeah. holiday <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well we're really excited to have you and you were actually watching that debate last night and you wrote your debut piece for the new statesman about it yeah. so why don't you first of all give us your take I think it shows that uh, Rishi Sunak is going to be the front runner, not just with MPs. I think with the full membership, and I think the public will will come to see that he's probably the the best candidate out of them as well. I think there was just an extraordinary amount of blue on blue. I think Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak just absolutely taking pot shots every chance that they could get, really. I got the distinct impression that, that Kemi Badenoch will eventually fold in behind Rishi Sunak. There was just relatively little hostility between the two and they seemed to just have some very similar lines and it just seems like that's how it'll that's how it'll fall down eventually. I thought Penny Mordaunt really failed to break through, didn't impress in the end. It just seemed very... I don't know. I think everyone had such high expectations of her and that she hasn't delivered on those during the debates, whereas I think Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss's cabinet experience really showed, to be honest. Yes, and it was a, the main sort of rivalry did appear to be between them, didn't they? And it's yeah. almost like they're representing the two schools of thought within the Conservative Party at the moment. Yeah. Rishi Sunak very much the sort of orthodox, let's balance the books, David Cameron, George Osborne-esque fiscal sort of dryness. Yeah. Uh, whereas Liz Truss seems quite relaxed about borrowing, cutting tax is from day one, which is what she said, which is something that a lot of particularly the right of the party are quite keen on. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I think it's also I think the way that Rishi Sunak tried to deal with that was to try and just lean into his 
credibility on the economy. He's been in charge of the Treasury during what's been a very difficult time for the UK. And I think he, he plans to paint his opponent, which I think increasingly think will be Liz Truss, as kind of like a Jeremy Corbyn figure, not credible on the economy, likely to do something that to to rock the boat up during what's going to be a terrible cost of living crisis for the country. So I think that's that kind of approach. I think will eventually, after a long summer of many Houstons that we're all going to follow, I think that will eventually start to appeal to the Tory membership. Okay, yeah, because I was looking into the Tory membership last week and although they are often painted, perhaps unfairly, as this caricature of frothing right-wingers, diehards, libertarian ideologues, they're not actually as economically Uh, radical as Tory MPs apparently so they are slightly more towards the centre obviously not where the sort of general public is on economic issues and you do get the impression that even though some of the polling and we'll come on to the polling with Ben in a minute suggests that any candidate would be chosen by the membership above Rishi Sunak you do get the impression that sort of like you say the sort of gravitas that he has as someone who has served as Chancellor the fact that he is accusing the others of Corbyn-esque or even beyond Jeremy Corbyn visions for the economy might spook them enough into actually choosing him in the end as the sort of sensible choice even though some of the candidates did make the fair point if your vision for the economy is so sensible and safe why do we have such sluggish growth why have we had that for over a decade perhaps it is time to shake the economy up which is some of their arguments yeah but uh, I don't, if I felt like if that argument was going to land it would have it would have done so in the last couple of debates but I do feel like Rishi Sunak has just come out mm. on top he just seems like the more dynamic of the candidates and I think the more Liz Truss tried to say we should t- cut, ta- cut taxes, we should cut taxes. I just think, I don't know, I just didn't, it didn't seem to land any blows mm. significantly. She, not for want of trying. Yeah. Not for want of trying. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if our other podcasters agree. We've got Rachel, other Rachel here. I'm going to have to get used to making sure that I alert the listeners to which Rachel is speaking. Rachel Cunliffe, you were watching the Hello. debate as well. Hello. Do you agree with Rachel W's uh, analysis or did you think that Liz Truss actually managed to spook Rishi Sunak slightly? I did think when he asked that question, what do you regret most being a Remainer or having been a Lib Dem? I, I thought that went down quite... He didn't look great when he was smirking when she was talking about her the comprehensive school that she went to and things. I'm not sure if that quite worked. No, he looked really awkward asking the question. And actually, she gave a really good answer to it. And her point as well that people can change their minds and be on a political journey. If you're basically arguing that the positions you hold when you're a teenager are automatically the positions that by default you hold like for the next however many decades of your life i'm not sure that's particularly helpful in getting in in, in winning an election and obviously he played into her hands with her getting the chance to talk about her school and make sort of privilege uh, a point she was also like although there was a lot of attacks on on, on Rishi as well when they got mm. that point which was a lovely touch by the ITV producers very game show esque like why don't you wh- why don't you all ask a question of each other? <laughs> Why don't you all gun Drishy? <laughs> am, am I allowed to say bitchy on this yeah. show? It was like they, they were encouraging them to be very bitchy. <laughs> But there was a question for Rishi about why he hadn't taken the warnings about the risk of COVID loan fraud seriously. I, I think that came from Kemi, which was like a sort of legitimate question because a lot of his status is on, like a lot of his popularity is on handling the pandemic finances and they were kind of all chipping away at him for that. And I just thought like the general tone of it was they'd kind of all decided to be 
really aggressive towards Rishi Sunak and to kind of laugh at Penny Mordaunt. There was a moment when she went, I'm the only one who can beat Labour. And they all just laughed at her. And it was kind of... I, I, there's that sense in politics that like people might hate you, people might like really want to beat you, but if they start laughing at you, you've you've kind of lost it. And I feel like that was kind of a moment there where they were just not taking her seriously at all. That's, and yeah. I don't think she handled it particularly well. That, that's really stood out to me because I, I know that you say if people are laughing at you, you've lost the argument. But I also did think it made the rest of them look like sort of school children giggling at her, even though I do understand why they were laughing because she's been making this point that she's the only candidate that can beat Labour. She is the only candidate who has won a Labour seat off Labour. Portsmouth North in 2010, fair enough. That is a, a different kind of campaign that you have to run if you're trying to win one of these marginal seats. But not sure where she's getting it from regarding the polling, which which means that we can bring Ben in here. Does she have any legitimacy when she says that, Ben? I don't want to presume that she may have read my piece, but I did kind of make a semi sort of argument that she perhaps could be the best candidate because no one has a clue who she is, right? Right. You, it, you, if you have a choice between known by the public, having a net favourability of minus 30, which is what Liz Truss has, being the person associated with fumbling the government's cost of living, which is what Rishi Sunak has, or being a non-entity with a public, which is what Penny Morton is. I would say on those metrics alone, Penny Morton is probably the best candidate for the job. However, we all saw the debates, didn't we? And they're not exactly, um, <laughs> not, 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 not really good. And this is the thing, right? You look at the polling and f- from YouGov and from Opinion, and these are members polling as well. And it's hard to square with what we're really seeing here. Last week, uh, you have had Penny Mordaunt sweeping the floor with all the other candidates. And then we have the debates and she doesn't exactly perform rather, rather well or at all, really. And further to what you were saying, it's quite humiliating, really, the, these debates. They're embarrassing. They, they don't really show, in my view, the candidates in any sort of good light. These, the Labour debates in 2015 weren't like this. Where, when Sunak called Truss a socialist for arguing for some form of leftist economics, you can't imagine Jeremy Corbyn calling, say, Yvette Cooper or Andy Burnham, like, conservative-leaning. You just wouldn't have had that in a Labour just debate. Just behind their backs. Yeah, yeah, it would just be behind their backs. It would be briefing, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? It would be all over social media. They'd get their Twitter trolls to do it instead, wouldn't they? You just wouldn't do it on Red television. Tories. So... What you said at the start of this recording, how trust and Sudak pulling out, yeah, that's, yeah, we can understand why, really. But regarding Morden, I say she's perhaps the most electable because no one has a clue of her. But I think that perhaps has changed because if you look how people perform, if you look at who watched the debate, the person who emerges as the supposed victor is Rishi Sunak. Should emphasise, though, it's a low bar. Rishi Sunak took 24% of those who watched the debate and said who they won. It's not exactly high. Tom Tugendhat came second with 19%. A bit late for him, given he is at risk of dropping off the ballot of Conservative MPs. But really, yeah, Sunak is pulling ahead, but not by much in my view. A more interesting metric worth paying attention to than just who won the debate. Who looks prime ministerial? Who looks like a good prime minister to those who watch the debate? Tugendhat obviously comes first with 54%, but then you have Sunak with 46%, but then you have Morden with 45%. Okay, Sunak and Morden are tying there. That's interesting, I think. That's worth just keeping bearing in mind. Morden tried to stay above the debate by being a little bit irrelevant, I think, to be honest with you. But she tried to look prime ministerial by not engaging in more the mudslinging that Sunak and Truss 
we're trying to do. I feel like I'm spinning for Morden here, which I perhaps shouldn't be doing. Because she's read your piece and you're so Yeah, she's read my piece. I'm easily bad, um, yeah, red faced for that. But no, yeah, and then you had Kemi Badenark on 37% and Truss, the, perhaps the least prime ministerial looking candidate, on just 35%. Just 35% of those that watched the debate said Liz Truss would make a good prime minister. 61% say she wouldn't. There's this idea that Truss is overtaking Morden, is going to become, it's going to be Truss versus Sunak. Well, it's going to be a pretty easy fight then. It's going to be a pretty easy fight in who's going to be the most appealing to the electorate. If it's between Truss and Sunak, Sunak would be the most appealing to the electorate. If it's between Morden and Sunak, though, it's a bit more evenly split, even though the narrative at the moment doesn't exactly suit that, does it? And Ben, I'm interested, how how much should we read into these snap polls after the debates? How do they work? Are they essentially meaningless? Or Yeah, yeah. How many people watch these debates? How many? How, how much of the media coverage is going to shape be shaped around these debates? It, it's really hard to say at the moment. We are always caught in the here and now. But when you zoom out, how much of an impact did they have? We don't know. It honestly depends, I think. On it, look, if Morden, as last week's YouGov poll shows, pulls away with a membership, wins the membership, then it's fair to say that these debates had next to no impact, okay? Because if they do have an impact, she should be falling. Now, Conservative Home have put out their own members' survey, their panel surveys. Should, bit of a caveat here, Conservative Home isn't a pollster, it isn't a market research firm. They have their own methodology. Full credit for the Conservative Home, what Mark Wallace and Paul Goodman do is really quite commendable stuff, but they're not pollsters. So to be honest with you, I would always ask listeners and you guys to just prize the findings of pollsters above Conservative Home. Nonetheless, Conservative Home are showing Penny Morden falling, just falling out of favour. Her momentum, if you can even quantify that in a data way, is deflating a bit. So yeah, it's hard to say at the moment. But Sunak has got a fight on his hand. He is the front runner. We know that. He does have a lead amongst MPs. But it's not like 2019 when Johnson was running away with it. It's not like 2016 when Theresa May was running away with it, even before Johnson pulled out. This is a quite tight fight between whoever becomes the final two in the weeks to come. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just lastly, Rachel Wimmer, you wrote in your piece that Labour were describing this debate as a generous gift. And actually, I noticed to Tom Tugendhat in particular, I think he mentioned Keir Starmer a lot in the debate and actually probably more than he mentioned the army, which is saying something. But yeah, he was saying Keir Starmer is going to be using these tactics against us. Who's going to look worse? Who's going to look better against him? And actually, that is the real question that if Conservative members are being sensible, they will bear in mind when they're doing their votes in the summer. Yeah, I was just thinking from what Ben was saying that it, it all kind of speaks to the Conservatives being a fearful party at the moment. They're mm-hmm. kind of been in power for 12 years, looking ahead to the next election, thinking about the long record that they have. We've been through era of austerity. We're approaching a cost of living crisis. They're probably more likely to stick to someone who they feel has that experience in the Treasury. But if you look at it from a Labour point of view, there's also a lot they can throw at Rishi Sunak. I think when, when he when Liz Truss was replying to her challenge from Rishi Sunak when she said, what do you regret most, being a Lib Dem or a Remainer? And she kind of, her response was kind of like, I didn't go to a posh school, mate. And I think that's kind of, he is very privileged. And I think there is this big question about, is he just too rich to be a Chancellor? There have been lots of questions about him being out of touch. If you add all of those questions about his him, him as a, an individual figure as to, on top of, and all of the candidates admit that there's a limited amount they can do about the cost of living crisis. If you add all of those things up, it's going to be difficult for whoever's in power. So I can understand in a lot of ways why they'd want to face someone, why they fear most rather, fear facing somebody like Penny Mordaunt who doesn't have that kind of baggage that, that Rishi Sunak has. So 
But the, every Labour person I spoke to last night was very happy with how the debate turned out for them. Yeah, they're more than happy to see all of the blue on blue. But at least some people were enjoying watching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so... Can I make oh, two yeah. points? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Rich. Completely relevant to everything we've been talking about, but I just think worth pointing out. Favourite moment of the debate was Kemi saying something about Tom Tugendhat not having been on the front line of politics and every single person's face falling while he went well I have been on the front line of Afghanistan and everyone going don't mention the war <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I know it's become like something of a cliche that every single question he goes when I was in the army but I just love that moment of solidarity between all of them and the way she looked she was like oh God, what have I done? I've mentioned them. <laughs> I thought I got away so that with was it. quite exactly like that. And the other thing that I found really interesting, just on Penny, is the extent of the coverage against her, particularly in the mail. I think they've done three, at least three covers on her, Morden under the microscope, with dragging up all the dirt they possibly can. They've kind of resorted to the fact that the co-author of her not particularly good book once liked a tweet by an activist that they don't like. And they've also got a little comment from the ex-wife of her ex-boyfriend. I would love to see the comments on the exes of the exes of the other candidates and what they think, <laughs> if that's what we're doing now. There have been comments on the fact that she's got eight cats and no children, so really playing into the kind of, do we trust a childless, unmarried w- woman to, to run the country? Standard. Um, yeah, we've been there before. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I just wonder... Like what Ben was saying about no one knows who she is and that kind of works in her favour. If maybe all of the backlash against her kind of works in her favour as well, because she's been on the front pages repeatedly for stuff that isn't really that bad. I don't think Tory members, maybe I'm wrong on this, are going to decide whether somebody is a good candidate or not based on what their ex's ex thinks of them. But there she is. There's always a picture of her. She always looks very attractive in those pictures, which is something that we pretend isn't relevant to this contest. But unfortunately, I think very much is. So she's kind of come out of nowhere and got a lot of free publicity because people are trying to slam her so much, which I think is interesting and potentially quite relevant if she gets to the final two. Yeah. Mm. What I can't figure out is what what really does Tom Tugendhat get out of standing? <laughs> I mean, I mean, who who would... Who would put him in their cabinet out of the other candidates? Liz Truss probably would not. And I think given how much he's laid into Sunak, I can't imagine he would either. And and I imagine the only job he'd probably want would be foreign secretary, really, or defence secretary. And there are a lot of other people that the front runners would put in those jobs anyway. So I guess he gets to raise his profile as the more left-wing backbencher and gets to talk about, as you say, being a soldier and being patriotic and all of these things. But there's no immediate benefit to him to do it to doing it and i know all politicians have got a huge ego <laughs> really yeah. but he can't really have believed that he was going to win either so i can't quite figure out what what he's doing there yeah <laughs> he is the kind of select committee chair that you want isn't he yeah. he speaks his mind about the parties quite he was great on the afghanistan the Kabul evacuation you really held mm. ministers to account on that and you want those kind of people on the committee corridor yeah. but like you say he is a politician so he will have further ambitions than that hi it's anoush here This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. 
featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. You Ask Us. us. Well done. Our our newbie came in first. Our question today is from Pete. Thanks for writing in. Does Boris Johnson have enough personal support to start up a new party with himself as the figurehead in the style of Nigel Farage, Alex Salmond or even Emmanuel Macron? Now, I think this is a really interesting question because obviously all gossip apart from around the Tory leadership race is about what happens next to Boris Johnson. Does he resign as an MP basically immediately triggering a by-election in Uxbridge and South Ryslip which would be quite exciting because I think some of the polling shows that he would have lost his seat actually if there was an election tomorrow. It is one of those sort of West London seats where the demographics are changing and it's becoming more of a Labour-facing Tory marginal. Would he do that and what would he do afterwards? Would he stay in politics or would he hit the kind of speaking engagement, columnist circuit which basically is what he was on until he was PM while he was still serving in cabinet. I was looking this up for the 12 months before he was Prime Minister he made £129,255 and that was from speaking engagements that were like £120,000 a pop and then his weekly Telegraph column which was famously £275,000 He took a big pay cut if you can put it like that uh, to become prime minister and that's why we got all of those briefings particularly last year about why he needed donors to stump up for his holidays and his flat refurbishment and meals and things like that and then pleading you know, poverty yeah yeah exactly <laughs> telling people that he was skint and then yeah. he does have at least seven children we know by three women two divorces i'm sure it is a bit of a drain on his finances though i can't really imagine there's going to be much sympathy in the country for that but that suggests that he would be chasing something that would make him money rather than political capital yeah i also think when if you try to climb inside the brain of boris johnson it's about power for him. it's about yes oh, sorry <laughs> the whole when he was a kid wanted to be world king i think he couldn't even say the word resign when when he got outside the steps of number 10 to say he was off i just think there is a, there is 
a small part of him and it's a small part he'll never be able to dismiss that will want to return to frontline politics in, in some way. All the candidates last night were put their hands down as far as they possibly could when they were asked, <laughs> would you put him in your cabinet? But I, I also think if he wanted to launch any kind of party of his own that would require funding and a very particular issue to get behind and I think there'll be some new version of levelling up even if it's not called levelling up but whoever takes the job next and I just think what would he get his supporters to coalesce around and how would he get funding for that I don't I'm not sure how that would work for him but I just don't think I think he probably sees a value in remaining a conservative and remaining inside the tent because I think he'll always just want a way back. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right, though, because with people like Nigel Farage and Alex Salmond as well, they were single issue obsessives, whereas the sort of one of Boris Johnson's key strengths, but also key weaknesses was that he didn't have that sort of one thing that suggested that he had an ideological zeal in any way. Yeah. He was quite committed to climate change and you could see that throughout his mayoralty in London and his premiership as well. Mm. But you can't imagine him rallying the populist troops behind an issue like that. So it's difficult to see his route, in, in, according to our listener's question, in terms of starting his own party. So you think he'd stay within the Conservative family, maybe being a nuisance? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, be, I think he'll be a nuisance. I think, <laughs> I think he won't be able to stop pointing out that his own value to his colleagues all of the time but I also just think that he will want to wear back I think I don't know what that would be at this point but I think he'll probably wait it out hope that hope that his colleagues forget about his terrible <laughs> terrible <laughs> leadership in number 10 <laughs> and his dishonesty and that he can charm them round to giving him some kind of job back in frontline politics and there's ultimately a value in him and as in terms of anything else that you want to do any writing he'd want to do it would it would offer extra value to that worry to stay in the Commons or to eventually get a seat in the Lords or whatever. I think probably Mm. that's where he'd want to stay, I would have thought. Yeah, and happily we have this system where MPs are allowed to just do a million things on the side, which everyone seems to have forgotten about now, but was a crucial issue just a few months ago during the own Rachel and Ben, what do you think? Sorry. It it was the issue that set in motion the chain of events that ultimately led to... Boris Johnson having to resign, right? Because it was the Owen Patterson row over what MPs could do in their spare time and what was a conflict of interest and what wasn't. And then he defended Owen Patterson and then he U-turned and lost the trust of his MPs. And then we had Partygate and basically like that, the start of the of the downfall. And you're right, now we've just stopped talking about it. Oh, so what do you think, Rachel? Do you, what do you think Boris Johnson does next? Anything that will make him money. I think mm. like we're, we're really underestimating how skint he is and how expensive the lifestyle he wants or he thinks he's entitled to is you mentioned all his children he has a has clearly has expensive taste or his wife has expensive taste but he all of the stories that tell you the most about boris johnson as a person are all of the kind of parliamentary aides or journalists or whatever who are like oh yeah i went out to meet him and he suggested this really fancy wine club or private members club or whatever and then we got there and he'd forgotten his wallet and i had to pay like <laughs> that is the story that you hear again and again like throughout his career he wants the money and I think he he knows he can get it I think he'll end up hosting I mean a QI or something obviously like he did have I got news for you he did Top Gear but like this stuff is lucrative and people absolutely will watch him and I think that will have two effects one it will enable him to pay off his debts and a, a little bit and kind of start his life again when he's no longer living in in Downing Street but two like the sad thing is it, it will rehabilitate him. Like we've seen the impact when politicians do like strictly come dancing or Ed Balls winning a cooking show or whatever and kind of a couple of years time when whoever's in power like 
next shows how awful they are in whatever way they turn out to be awful because they always do we kind of have this rosy tinted look back at the past and if you've got boris johnson doing a game show and he's quite funny i think people will start to be like it wasn't that bad it was just a difficult circumstance isn't he quite fun really so i think do that for five years make some money end up on a couple of lucrative company boards end up as an advisor as a czar for something or other in the next government probably make it to the lords at some point and people will forget about the chaos of the last three years that's very cynical of me sorry yeah i think you're right in that he desperately wants money but i think he also desperately wants to be liked it's, i think that's also true of him when you think i was like yeah i could absolutely see him on struggling come dancing you're right yeah that, that i could see that route for sure yeah, yeah this is the sort of zip wire boris johnson he hasn't quite been able to embrace as he's been prime minister and foreign secretary before that be back to his comfort zone ben what do you think and also in, does he is there sort of residual popular support for him still even though i know you've described him recently as electoral asbestos uh, i love that <laughs> that's I, a great I, line. I love submitting that title and george my editor just didn't change it and i was delighted about that no, no, <laughs> over the moon no actually whilst you're talking i was looking at the favorability for nigel farage in 2019 and the favorability for johnson right now and some this i don't know about you maybe i'm easily shook or shook by stats <laughs> But here's this, right, so Farage in 2019 had 27% approval across the country. At the moment, in one opinion poll, Johnson has 26% approval across the country, okay? But amongst Leave voters, it's pretty stark. So 2019, Farage, 52% approval amongst Leave voters. Johnson today, 36%. He's nowhere. He's got nothing. He has been gutted (laughs) and hollowed out by the public opinion about him. The thing is, right, in our first pass of post-democracy, you've got to have a niche. You've got to have a niche voter that you can work on, that you can get. This is what saw the Greens gain Brighton. This is what could one day see the Greens gain Bristol. This is what, you know, why Labour does well in the inner cities, as was once described fearfully by the Conservatives. That you need to have a niche demographic, and Johnson right now has lost it. He's got nothing. He's got, you you look across the board, he has fallen out of favour with leavers, with those in the north, with those of older age. Um, goodness me, I didn't expect that. More than 50% of those over the age of 65 really don't like Johnson anymore. 60%, more than 60% of northerners don't like Johnson. And it should, I should, I didn't mention this in a podcast last time I was on it, but it's worth bearing in mind how reviled Johnson is in Scotland. Now, I think it's not mm. news to say Mrs. Thatcher didn't poll well amongst Scots, even before the poll tax or community charge. She had a- <laughs> Spinning net. for Thatcher now. Yeah, yeah, I've got to, I've got to do it. I'm going as, I'm going as Thatcher First on Halloween. Penny, but I know. There's a pattern, isn't there? That should be a bit worried. No, but in Scotland, Mrs. Thatcher had a 13% favourability. That was low. And that was pre-poll tax, right? Boris Johnson, sorry, now has an approval of similar. 12%, 13 15 okay? He is as low as Thatcher was pre-poll tax in Scotland right now. This guy is reviled. He is, an, he is as boss, asbestos to the union, to his party, to, to anything. And to be honest with you, in our first past the post democracy, you need a niche to work on a base of voters that exist in enough seats to get you there. Okay, mm. he doesn't have that. His favorability has collapsed across the board. He doesn't have it. Farage had it with white working class. Farage had it with leavers. Farage had it with those disproportionately on the coast of England, Boston, and Skegness. Bit of Scarborough, Hartlepool, bits of Sunderland, Great Yarmouth, all that kind of stuff. Johnson has it where? He doesn't. 
he's nowhere. And that's the thing. In and the again, safe he does... seat of Kiev Central. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does that as well. Oh, that was quite sad, wasn't it? You, the thing with Ukrainians, actually, they really do like Johnson. It's not just a Twitter meme. You, there was one survey I know, I know. which found, I don't know, he had a net approval of plus 50, plus 60. It's... It's sickening, really. But yes, congratulations, Johnson. You can go be a politician in Ukraine, post-war, maybe. So we also had one other question that we didn't get to answer from Anshul. Thanks for writing in. He asked, what do each of the Tory candidates mean for foreign policy? And actually, I did have a crack at answering that question on our sister podcast, World Review, which is all about international affairs. And that episode is out now. So have a listen to that. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, Rachel, for making your debut. I know you've got a really busy first day. So thanks for taking the time. And we'll have you on soon again shortly, I'm sure. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth, Rachel Cunliffe and Ben Walker. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to leave us a nice review and subscribe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.